Wood, former superintendent of the Assemblies of God, passed away on January the 12th. And uh, so I was uh, back, was I guess two days ago, for his funeral in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, Dr. Wood was pastoring when Madeline and I, I think you folks know Pastor Madeline, thank you. I always need extra reinforcements here. Uh, Pastor Madeline has been out here preaching, and uh, you'll see her again. Uh, uh, Then you'll get a good sermon, finally, instead of what you have to put up with here. But what I'm doing is I'm preaching Dr. Wood's probably most famous sermon to you. So that's the disclaimer. Uh, Yeah, it was a wonderful time to see all the leaders of the Assemblies of God uh, two days ago in Springfield, and uh, the most important thing I took away is that we have a hope, Amen. and it's not in this world, <laughs> it is in the world to come, Amen. hallelujah. Today's sermon uh, is Dr. Wood's sermon of encouragement that I've tweaked a little bit for uh, churches, but it's the same sermon, it's entitled, Your Life, Your Legacy, Your Life, Your Legacy. Knowing your legacy is greater than your life. This is a sermon by George O. Wood, General Superintendent at General Council in Orlando, Florida, 2009. And let me just state, uh, he had just been elected to finish the term for two years, and now he's going to face election again the next morning when he preaches this. And uh, he started preaching, and I was reached out, and I started taking notes, and I started crying immediately. And I go, why am I crying? He's just introducing this sermon. Anyway, this sermon is dedicated to helping you persevere in difficult times. God is building your life into a significant legacy that will be great if you persevere in him. Let us pray. Lord, uh, enrich us with the power of this word, we pray. May we understand our calling in you and the calling to this church and this community. For it is not just for today and next week and next month, but we are building, should the Lord tarry, something significant that will carry into the future. I pray the Spirit of the Lord to be upon us and that God would open up our minds and our hearts to understand what we are doing here in this community with this church. We are new hope for a reason. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, our first point is this. God is calling us to continue to be the best we can be in trying and difficult circumstances. I want to encourage everyone this morning by going to the story of one of the more obscure persons in the Bible. Her life was marked by tremendous adversity. And like some of us, maybe even here, she, she often wondered why God put her on this earth and gave her such a heavy load to carry. I want to introduce you to Leah. Leah. I don't have many sermons on Leah. <laughs> her story is told in Genesis chapter 29 to 49. But her legacy plays out through the entire Bible all the way to the book of Revelation. And when I come back next time, I'm going to give you the second half of this sermon. 
we will end up in Revelation. But this morning, I want to use her life story today for encouragement to all of us who belong to the household of faith. I suspect that most of us do not get all we want from life. Leah certainly did not. Her name in Hebrew means weary or tired. Oh, here comes weary. And tired, boy, she looks really tired and weary. And her name could have also meant in Hebrew, are you ready for this? Wild cow. Oh, here comes the wild cow. Hmm. (laughs) And then compare this to her younger sister, Rachel, whose name means you, E-W-E, a female sheep. Now the name cow, as opposed to you, suggests that Leah may have not been all that good looking. Genesis 29.17 compares her to her younger sister, Rachel. Here it says this. Leah had weak eyes. We've added maybe she was nearsighted, lacking the sparkle in her sister's eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and beauty. Wow, how about that description in the Bible? You've got, Leah, you've got weak eyes, but Rachel, lovely in form and beauty. And that's maybe how some of us see ourselves. Someone else is better. Someone else is more attractive or more charismatic. Someone even has better behaved children. <laughs> enjoys, <laughs> enjoys greater favor in life. Earns more money. Has better health. Sees greater results from their efforts in life. Mm. On the other hand, her younger sister, Rachel, was favored for Jacob. Rachel was love at first sight. But Jacob the schemer is out schemed by his uncle and soon-to-be father-in-law Laban. (laughs) Jacob agreed to work for Laban as payment for getting Rachel in marriage seven years. Men, have you had to work seven years to get your wife? For your future father-in-law? From your future? Whoa, what a crazy idea. Seven years he labored. But on the wedding night, Laban by trickery substitutes Leah for Rachel. Because of the local custom that the eldest daughter marries first. And since their tent had no electricity, and Leah was heavily veiled, And I would add there was probably a little wine involved. (laughs) Jacob, on the wedding night, did not know the switch had been made until the morning light. (laughs) Yeah, that's what he said. (laughs) I couldn't have said it better. (laughs) So the, the text eloquently states, Jacob's shock. Look at this, we have it on a slide. When morning came, there was Leah. Oh my. Jacob rushes out of the tent and confronts Laban. And Laban says, surprise! (laughs) Okay, I'll give you Rachel if you will serve me for another seven years. But first you have to finish the wedding week with Leah. 
Well, how do you think that Leah felt? Forced through the custom to obey her father, she's given herself to Jacob and then has to endure two dignities. Jacob didn't want her. And one week after their marriage, he takes up with Leah, the younger sister, in a second marriage. And you know how Leah's able to respond to this? All Leah could do is stand by and say nothing. This brings us to our second point. God wants us to know that in trying situations, there is hope for the future. Woo. Are you or have you been in a situation where you can do nothing? You just have to take it. Life has been forced upon you. The doctor may have given you a bad report, or your spouse may say, goodbye, adios. Or listen to what the Bible teaches us. Jacob, it says this, the text explicitly says, Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Wow. The picture of Leah is this of a very hurt and shamed and depressed young woman crying alone in her tent, suffering the pain of a father who traded her and a rejection from the man that she loved. Is life fair for Leah? Not on your life. The circumstances in Leah's life were not within her control. Her looks were against her. Her younger sister was more captivating. Her husband had relations with her, but he didn't love her. Now you may be thinking, where is this sermon going, Pastor David? (laughs) I bet you didn't realize you were getting a mini-series here today that should be on TV maybe, I don't know. Rachel, here's the problem with Rachel, are you ready? Because, you know, everything's going Rachel's way so far. Rachel, however, was infertile. And after a while, Jacob turned to Leah, and Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a boy whose name is Reuben. Reuben means, behold, a son. Well, you folks did a great job on these. I, I just... On the way out, I'm texting, I emailed these notes, and they put it all together. Let's give the Vanette and our sister, okay, Anna, right? Bless you. Man, these are great. I need to take these back with me for my second, ser- th- whatever service is next. I don't know. I've lost track. <laughs> so Reuben means behold a son. And Leah expressed the essence of his name this way. It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Now you're keeping score. Rachel, no kids. Leah, one. And this is in the Bible. Can you believe it? Surely my husband will love me now. But he didn't. So she conceived again, and this time she bears a second son, Simeon whose name means heard. She explains it this way in Genesis twenty nine thirty three, Because the Lord has heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. Whoa. But she was still not loved after giving birth to two sons. Are you keeping track? Leah, two sons. Rachel, none. 
So she conceived again. And this time she bore Levi, meaning attached. Her explanation for the third son's name is this. Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Well, that didn't work either. By the time the fourth son is born, she seems to have given up on Jacob's love. And notice the name of this fourth son. (laughs) Her focus now is totally on the Lord. The fourth son's name is Judah, meaning praise. And her reason for the fourth name is this. She says this, in her misery, difficulty, not being loved, she goes, this time I will praise the Lord. Whoa. Please notice her faith. This brings us to our third point. Each time a son is born, she refers to the Lord. Her circumstances have not brought her anything but misery and lack of family love, but her view of God was one of trust. In fact, she is like the female Job who said, Though God slay me, I will trust him. My Folks, this is the attitude we need to have. Don't let your misery cause you to turn from the Lord. I want you to know that you're building a legacy that is greater than your life and it extends past your life if you'll keep persevering. Leah's younger sister, Rachel, you know what she did when she left her father's household? She stole... I'm messing with this, and I shouldn't be. She stole her father's household idols and packed them uh, when they left for for Haran. But Leah had no part of it. Leah's love was was for, for the one true God. It was an unadulterated love. She had purity of faith. She would not have a backup plan and take the idols of the of 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 her father. She trusted in the Lord. No reliance on any other thing. Now, we don't see that that was the case for Rachel. Well, after the fourth son is born to Leah, Rachel is now upset. Are you keeping score? Leah, four boys. Rachel, none. So she had a servant woman named Bilhah. And she says to Jacob, here, have relations with my servant woman so that you can have some, some sons through my efforts. I'm glad we don't live in a crazy day like that today. Uh, so Jacob has relations with her servant woman, and uh, two sons are born, Dan and Naphtali. So it's four to two, but not really two, but you know what I mean. Well, not to be outdone, Leah, whose womb is now temporarily closed, gives Jacob her servant, Zilpah. And there's two sons born through Zilpah, Gad and Asher. Are you keeping track? It's now six to two, kind of. And then God reopens Leah's womb and she bears two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun, plus, plus a daughter. Extra credit, whoever yells this out first. And what is the daughter's name? 
Dinah. Not sure, just Dinah. Yeah. Finally, are you keeping score here? Is it like 10 to 2? Yeah, is that it? It's 10 to 2. Trust me, I've done this sermon many times. (laughs) The math never changes. Kind of 10 to 2. I mean, Leah's had six kids of her own. And then, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. It's 8 to 2. Well, I'm sorry, but girls weren't, girls weren't counted in those days. But you didn't ask which... You know what? I, you keeping track of boys or girls? Uh, I, think, uh, I think I yield to the floor and, uh, and go with nine to two. All together. All together, yeah. Anyway, Leah's in the lead, right? Yes. That's a long shot. <laughs> so... I'm glad we got this straightened out for the next sermon, which is in a few minutes, and back in Vegas here. So finally, God lets Rachel have a boy, and his name is Yosef in Hebrew, Joseph, the favored son, the son with the coat of many colors, the son that was sold by his brothers because they didn't want to kill him into slavery. And he went down to Egypt. His dad thought he was dead because the brothers lied. Can you believe this? She can't believe it. Stand up and show everybody your face. I mean, it's priceless. <laughs> Give him the shocked face. Come on. There we go. <laughs> oh, you got to do this side now. It's like, I can't believe this. <laughs> yeah, this is, can you believe this? This is in the Bible. It's astounding. So then Rachel, I mean, yeah, Rachel has one more child, and she dies giving birth to Benjamin, better known as Benjamin. And Leah outlives Rachel. We're not told when Leah died, but we know this about her death, and that is she was buried in the cave of of Machpelah at Hebron, where Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah were buried. In fact, Jacob, in his last nine words, tells us this startling statement. There, I buried Leah. He leaves instruction that he wants to be buried, not with Rachel in Bethlehem, but with Leah and his forebearers. So in the end, Leah's persevered and won Jacob's love. Uh, About ten or more years ago, there was a popular song in Israel being played on the radio. Are you ready for the title of this song? I Love Thee, Leah. A popular song being played 4,000 years later. And the refrain has Jacob singing, singing to Leah. Here are many days gone by, my two hands have become weary, and your two eyes have become beautiful, like the eyes of Rachel. I love thee, Leah. I love thee, proud If I forget thee, Leah, my name shall not be Israel. Wow. But looking back, we are tempted to say of Leah, what a tragic and difficult life. 
So many people in her life were unfair to her. I recount to you, her father forced her into a marriage. Her sister resented her. Her husband did not begin to love her until late. In fact, our fourth point is this. Leah's story teaches us that the effect of your life cannot be measured in the time span of the few decades that you are here on earth. Wow. Wow. So, I want you to look around for a moment here in this church. I'm just astounded by the great attendance today. God bless you all for being here. But I want you to, next time you just want to roll over and have Sundaynitis, that's when you can't get out of bed on Sunday. It's cured about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. You, oh, I feel better now. God has healed me. I can now rise and have a picnic or something. Oh, I'll take that back. My dad called it sabathonitis. That's what he called it. Yeah, it's a sickness that hits early Sunday morning and gets about 1 o'clock, then you're feeling much better. I want to remind you that you're building a church, should Jesus tarry, that is going to last into the decades after you're gone. But everything that you do and help to make this, this church strong and functioning like a body of Christ, which you are doing, there are going to be people that will be coming here when you're long gone. But they are going to be part of your legacy. I didn't finish this point, did I? Leah's story teaches us that the effect of your life cannot be measured within the time span of a few decades that you're here on earth. Leah's story, like all of ours, fits into a long-range tapestry of God's weaving. Joseph didn't know who he was while he was going through the trials. You know, when Joseph was sold as a slave and served as a slave for 10 years in the house of Potiphar, he didn't know who he was. All he had was this distant dream, and the dream that got him sold by his family. Then he ended up three years in a political prison. He didn't know who he was until God said, you know what, you're going from the prison, and you're going to now live in the palace. You're going to be the prime minister of Egypt. You're going to be the greatest voice and power in the land, save Pharaoh. Wow. But Joseph didn't know who he was. Moses didn't know who he was when he was running for his life because he killed a man trying to get his his Hebrew brothers freed because they were slaves. And God sent him to the backside of the desert for 40 years. And now when he's 80, God shows up in a burning bush and says, it's time for you to become the great deliverer of my people. And you know what Moses said? No way, God. Too smart for that. I've already tried this once. And God said, yeah, but you tried it in your power and your way. Now we're going to do it in my power, my way. Moses didn't know who he was during the difficult days. So what I want us to do in the time that we have left is take a look at Leah from eternity's point of view. And then I want you to think about maybe what God has for you and for this church from eternity's point of view. We have a tendency just to look at here and now and maybe a few years into the future. God looks at here and now and beyond now 
into the decades that lie ahead should Jesus tarry. So next time you're thinking of sleeping and not coming to church, rebuke that sloth and get out of bed and stumble in here in your pajamas if you have to. Well, as long as it's appropriate, <laughs> pajamas. <laughs> so let's take a look at Leah's life from eternity. First of all, you need to know the priestly line comes through Leah's third son, Levi. And in that line comes Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And without Leah, there's no Levi, there's no Moses, there's no first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's no Ten Commandments, there's no Exodus from Egypt, and there's no prototype of a high priest, which Jesus would model his intercessory ministry for us. Leah's descendant, Caleb, was one of the two old people that entered the promised land. You recall what happened. He was sent out, he and Joshua, as spies. They were going to go into uh, Beulah. They were going to go into the promised land. And ten ten guys came back with a report. There's giants in the land. They're going to kill us. But Caleb and Joshua said, God will deliver the giants. We are going to take them. God will give us the power. And you know, God had done miracle after miracle after miracle for them. But the people rose up and said, God, we don't trust you. We think the enemy is going to kill us. And God said, because you don't have faith in me, you'll all drop in the desert. You're not going to see the promised land because you don't have faith. And so, Caleb at that time was 45 years of age when he was sent out as a spy. And now 40 years roll by, and that whole generation is dead. But you can add 45 and 40, and you get 85. Good job. Boy, if you got a math question, just ask this young lady here. Amen. <laughs> 85. So now they're going to the promised land, and here's what the old man says. Are you ready? Caleb said, I'm still as young today as the day that Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Give me this hill country! That the Lord promised me. If you don't believe it, it's Joshua 14, 11, and 12. Here's an old man saying, give me the hill country. I don't need the flat land. I'll take the hill country. That's what was promised me. I think Caleb had the same spiritual genetic makeup and tenacity that his forebearer, Leah, had. And that is this. Never give up. Never give in. Never sit down in self-pity or resignation or defeat. Century later, the elders of Bethlehem pronounced blessing on Boaz, who's another descendant of Leah. And Boaz becomes the great-grandfather of King David. Whoa. And, and, when, and when he takes Ruth, Boaz, if you have not read uh, the book of Ruth, it's a love story about Ruth finding Boaz. And the Boaz is the great-grandfather of David. And, of course, David gets a promise from God that the Messiah of the world was going to come through his lineage. The elders say when Ruth and Boaz get married, may the Lord make the, the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. 
But Leah did far more to build up the house of Israel than Rachel. And it was Leah's fourth son, Judah, who became the ancestor of King David and King Solomon. So without Leah, we have no Judah, we have no Boaz, we have no David, we have no Solomon. And without David or Solomon, we don't have the book of Psalms and Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. And from Leah comes not only the priest, but also the high priest, the Levites of Israel. And also in addition to the Levites, we have kings of Judah, including Asa, Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Hezekiah, and Josiah. And then additionally, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all appear to be priests, and therefore they're from the descendants of Levi. And of course, who's the mom of uh, Levi? Leah. Even Ezra the scribe was a priest, and thus from Leah. Nehemiah, in all probability, was from Judah, and therefore also a descendant of Leah. And then ultimately... Joy to the world, the Lord is come. All the key players in the Christmas story derive from Leah. Mary and Joseph. They belong to Judah, the fourth son, the fourth son of Leah. Elizabeth and Zechariah belong to Levi, the third son. <clears throat> Their son is, are you ready for this? John the Baptist, who comes from Leah. Even the old woman in the temple who gave thanks to God about when she saw the baby Jesus, she is from Leah's, and Leah's from the tribe of Asher. Asher came through Leah's servant, Zilpah. And the land of Zebulun, the sixth and last son of Leah, included a place called Nazareth. And you know Nazareth, because that's where Jesus grew up. And that's where he first announced that he was coming. <laughs> that it's the year of Jubilee. He's going to set the prisoner free. He reads the messianic passage in Isaiah. And it's found in the book of Luke. And, and then he says, and today this, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody got really angry in his little synagogue of about 30 men. And they were going to take him out and throw him over the, the edge of the cliff. And he just walked through them because it wasn't his time to die. He came to die, but not at that time. And that was the start of his ministry. And Nazareth, which is the land of Zebulun, the sixth and last son of Leah, Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, became the first who saw the great light shining in the darkness. Matthew four fifteen through 16. So in summary, without Leah, there's no Judah. Without Judah, there's no David. Without David, there's no Jesus. And without Jesus, we have no salvation. The people of the Christmas story are mainly Leah's kids. And without Leah, as I've already said, there's no singing joy to the world. The Lord has come. And the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles also comes through another of Leah's descendants. Are you ready for this? Barnabas is a descendant of Levi. And who do you think raised Benjamin? The mother died and Leah took on the responsibility of raising Benjamin. And of course from the line of Benjamin comes the first king, King Saul, and then the New Testament apostle, his name is Paul. Would Paul have even existed had Leah failed to nurture and raise Benjamin? 
So friends, you cannot measure the impact of Leah's life with her earthly time span. And you cannot measure your life that way either. Neither can you judge things on external appearances. Rachel was good looking, the good looking one, but God looks deeper than our outward appearance. God is looking for the inner beauty that he can build. Theologian Abraham uh, Kuyper puts it this way. There are two kinds of beauty. There are two kinds of beauty. There's a beauty which God gives us at birth and a beauty that beauty which withers and dies as a flower. And there's a beauty which God grants, the kind of beauty never vanishes but blooms for eternity. Leah had the, the beauty that never withered. Well, our fifth and final point is this. What can we take away from Leah's story? Well, we need time and distance to understand what God is doing through our lives. Leah had no idea that her trails her trials would result ultimately in a priestly king and in a, king, in a priestly and kingly line. That a great deal of the Bible would have been left unwritten. Most of, most of all, she had no idea that the Savior of the world would come from her DNA, her human DNA. I want to say this to all of us and to this church as a group and individually. Let us choose to persevere in life and ministry. Let God write our legacy after our life is over. Let us be found, are you ready for this? Steadfast. On a personal note, the year is 1933. I take you to Denver, Colorado. My great-grandmother, who I never met, was in a little Assemblies of God church on the wrong side of the street in a rented building. There were 25 people in that service. It was Mother's Day, 1933. Uh, my grandmother's name, nickname was Bessie, and her husband's nickname, Bode. Bode and Bessie Hilgers. And she would get on a religious kick where she'd go to churches, and she says, I'm looking for something, but I don't know what it is. And the church said, well, if you join the choir, then you're going to find it. She goes, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know that's not it. And then they said, well, if you teach a Sunday school class, she goes, you know, that sounds fine, but I don't know what I'm looking for, and that's not it. And everywhere they said, oh, join the church, and you'll find it. She said, you know, I don't know what I'm looking for, but that's not it. So here she is on Mother's Day, 1933. She's uh, 32 years old. She has my mom, who's the eldest in the family, 11-year-old girl. An uncle six, and, uh, a sister to her, was one, a baby. The preacher preached after the Mother's Day program that the children gave. That's why she was there. The preacher preached on the responsibility of parents to their children. And he said, parents, the most important thing you can give is give your children Jesus. He said, but there's something about this. You've got to have Jesus first. And he preached about coming to Jesus, and he gave the altar call. And my mom says she plopped the baby down on Bode's lap, her, her husband's lap, and she ran to the altar and was gloriously saved. She would die in 1948, at the age of 47. About a decade and a half in the Lord. 
During that time, my mom says this. She would say, this, put out her left hand, this family shall work for God. And my mom says she didn't know what she was saying. But she was prophesying not only for her generation, but for the generations to come. I am part of that prophetic word. There are 18 to 20 full-time pastors and missionaries that have come from her family line. One of them has a megachurch in Denver of over 2,000. We've been privileged to have a measure of success in the 36 years that Pastor Matt and I have been at First Spring Valley Assembly of God, then I changed it to Peaceway Christian Center because we're on Peaceway. My nephew, Paul Childers, has had a great, great deal of success. He, is, he was for five years head of the University of YWAM in Kona, Hawaii. So I preached at my mom's funeral, and I shared this story, and I said, I believe the gospel reach of Grandma Bessie is about 250,000 to 350,000 around the world. And he goes, he's from New Zealand. He was raised in New Zealand. Uncle Davey, you need to change those numbers. He said, last year in uh, Papua New Guinea, we won 100,000 people to Jesus Christ. And in the Philippines, another 100,000 people. So I'm going to change that gospel reach to between 500 and 600,000 coming from one little lady that decided to run to the altar and serve God fervently because her legacy is greater than her life. And you don't know who you're sitting next to. You don't know who's going to come to this church. That God has... A significant divine destiny. So I want to encourage you to build this church up, to build each other up. I know we don't have a pastor, and I'm sorry for that. But you know what? You've got Jesus, and you've got each other. And you know what? We can build. We can do things together. And the Lord will send us a pastor when he, when he needs to. And until then, you're stuck with me and Madeline and some other folks. I want you to know that Pastor Ryan Martinez is uh, my son in the Lord. And uh, Dr. Stan Stewart was going to be here today, but he was afraid that he was exposed to COVID. So I said, uh, let's not do this. Uh, let's, uh, let's be safe, not sorry. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, this is the sermon. Friends, please be encouraged to persevere in God in life. You cannot begin to understand how God will use your efforts for his glory and purpose. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful church. Lord, help us on an individual and corporate level understand that your calling is great and we need to be steadfast. We need to be one that can be counted on in the work of the Lord, in this fellowship, and in our personal lives. Give us the same tenacity that Caleb had. (laughs) No matter what our age, Lord, we're going to do what you want us to do and give us the promise that you promised us. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leadership of this fellowship. Lord, continue to cause us to build up in you a greatness. And then, Lord, we will see how it plays out throughout eternity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.